Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's get into what happened last night. The State of the Union, which was obviously delayed by a week because of the uh, the partial government shutdown in the states, but uh, all was all last night good. They got the president in there, and of course you know, there was the bipartisan attempt to try to make uh, this sound as if we you know we all need to work together, and it started out in that way. Victory is not winning for our party. Victory is winning for our country. Uh, that started off in a very bipartisan, uh, collaborative tone, uh, kind of straight a little bit from time to time, though, in his speech. Joining us to uh, assess uh, what was said last night and how it was said, Laura Babcock, president of Power Group, joins us here on The Bill Kelly Show. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. Uh, first off, i got to ask you right off the bat, I was just looking at a CBS poll that was uh, released this morning. 74% said they liked what they saw from the president last night. Does that surprise you? Not at all. It was a good speech. And people always underestimate Trump's ability to communicate. Now, this was prompter Trump, the Trump that is obviously more controlled, and you need to test his speech and check it against any tweets that he sends out because sometimes it feels as though people are being gaslit a little bit. We hear one thing and then we see something else and and you're not quite sure what the truth is. But from the delivery perspective, from the content perspective, the way that they leveraged very artfully all of the stories of the people in the room, the way that they tied past war heroes to his call to get out of Afghanistan. And I thought the best line was, great countries don't stay in endless wars. Uh, There's a lot of really powerful moments that seemed to really resonate. There were a couple of darker moments and a couple of unsuccessful moments, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. But overall, I was not surprised at all by those ratings. And it has a very important impact on 2020. Uh, He 100% locked down the evangelicals with his portion on abortion that has never been said in quite that way or strong in terms ever in a state of the union. And you could see their reaction immediately. So he has just cemented himself to not have a Republican challenger, at least at this point. Uh, and I think that any Democrats running realized as they were sitting there that the 2020 re-election of Donald Trump is not necessarily a fait accompli, and it's also not something that they can take lightly. It's going to be a real fight. Well, I had a number of pundits, I think, commented on that even before the speech started last night. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Nicole Wallace on MSNBC was saying last night that uh, this is before he even stood up on the podium and said that this this is this, the State of the Union address is really just a big reality TV show. I mean, it's a television production, really. You know, with with guests that are there, introductions that are written, etc. And he says he's writing his elements. So he, he she anticipated he was going to do very well last night. Yeah, you recall when he did his first State of the Union, you had famously Van Jones uh, say he became our president or something to that effect, and he got huge backlash from the progressive left in the United States for looking as though one good speech within an environment that is totally staged would be enough to change a perspective on Trump. But here's the thing, is that last night wasn't just about him being able to handle a reality show. It was also about the messages that he sent. He gave his base a lot of gifts. He gave people who are independent pause to think about some of what he was suggesting. Uh, and so there, there was a number of things in there. I think one of the things that will probably not work out as well for him in terms of a legacy from the speech is that he stood in front of a joint session of Congress and essentially threatened them, which has never happened in a State of the Union before, where he said, you know, if these investigations continue, then we won't have legislation. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but basically said to them, 
you know, we you can't investigate me and expect that we're going to get along, which, to your point, was the opposite of how he started the speech. So there were things in the speech that didn't play well, that won't play well. Uh, but in terms of making him look stable and making him look almost, almost you know, uh, affable and gregarious and warm, he's very good at that. He's he's always been a charming salesperson, and I think last night he recharmed America. It's a reset point. It might be a reality show, and I love Nicole Wallace. She's she's as smart as they come. But it is also a reset point if you do it effectively, and I think he just reset himself possibly out of some really bad poll numbers lately. Okay, but it, no, let's let's get to that other side, and let's look at it now through the prism of of, uh, of credibility. Uh, how he said things, as you say, teleprompter Trump, we already know, can perform to this level, and, and, and clearly he, he did that last night. So on the surface, you're going to get a very positive response. But when you start to actually drill down and look at some of the stuff that he said, the hypocrisy, uh, the hyperbole uh, was, ju- was just overwhelming at times. And maybe one of the most uh, poignant moments I thought last night, and again, it goes to stage presentation as much as anything else, was when Trump was talking about how you can't get along in this country with the politics of division and the politics of revenge. That caught a standing ovation. But you remember the Nancy Pelosi hand, sh- the, the the clap, which is I, I could be iconic now. That's one of the I think the burning memories that we got last night. She was pointing right at him, saying, "Right back at you, buddy." Well, yeah, it's a clap back heard around the world. You know, it, it showed that. She was, she was listening to what he was saying, and obviously how do you not applaud the thought of Congress finally working together, but the way that she looked at him with her eyebrow cocked up uh, and her hands pointed right at him, to your point, it was right back at you, buddy, but it was also, uh, it was also uh, pretty intimidating. I mean, she is not to be messed with, and so she was looking at him as though to say, yeah, you're going to say that here in my house? Well, you better live up to it or I'm coming at you. I mean, it was very powerful. Another very powerful face in that whole, you know, in terms of iconic imagery coming out of this was AOC, the the freshman or the fresh woman uh, congressperson who has a tremendous, tremendous following. And she refused to do this kind of political, polite response. She was sitting looking at somebody that she really, really disagrees with fundamentally. And so she might have just been a coffee barista in New York City or wherever a few months ago, but now she's a congressperson with tremendous power. And when she was uh, attacked by Peggy Noonan, of all people, this morning for not, you know, looking warm and gracious, she said, why would I? You know, if anything, that would make me a hypocrite. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but what she's basically saying is she's a new generation of congressional leaders who are sitting there and they have very strong feelings about this president. So even though the stage show might have been good, there were some wonderful moving stories and he said some nice things, she was not about to give him an inch and to betray herself. And and I think that was very powerful, much like Nancy Pelosi. She was going to say, okay, I'll clap to that concept, but you better believe that I'm watching you. So both women showed, uh, I thought, tremendous power in the moment. Interesting camera angle. I mean, obviously, ninety percent of the shot uh, the, as we watched the thing last night on television is is the the direct shot right on where you see Trump, uh, but behind him is Mike Pence, and over his left shoulder is Nancy Pelosi, and and the, you couldn't have had a better situation, I guess, for Pelosi in that situation, Laura, because you could see her reaction to everything he said. Like you say, the the cocked eyebrows, the the incredulous look, like here we go again when he started going on about the wall, and it mm-hmm. was it was almost like point and counterpoint all in the same camera shot. It was, and so you know. We make fun of Mike Pence for the elf on the shelf moment when he was with Pelosi and Schumer in, in the Oval Office and Trump, and he didn't move. And there was nothing. He, he has 
mastered the art of sort of expressionless staring into the distance and clapping on cue. So there's nothing interesting to see there. And it was really telling that when Trump brought up his big line about unity and he turned to Pelosi to see what she thought. And that's when she gave him the eyebrow uh, and the clap back because he he has this real sense of um, it's almost not that she maybe dominates him, but she certainly has his attention and she certainly balances up against his power as she should as the leader, uh, you know, the Speaker of the House. It is it is supposed to be an equal branch of government, and she has checked him like nobody else has. And the fact that she was standing up there the second time as a woman leading the Speaker of the House, she is the most powerful woman on earth right now, if you look at it in terms of him being the most powerful person and that, that she is able to check his power. So I think all of us were watching, we're just mesmerized by what she looked at, how she looked at him, when she looked at him, and uh, and people will be parsing that for days. Well, and again, the, the the facial expressions that you saw from Nancy Pelosi last night, I think, underscored how a lot of people thought the the speech was going and some of the hypocrisy there. I mean, here's here's Donald Trump talking about the politics of division, and you look at some of the tweets he sent out about people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and so many others, uh, and and you know his idea of collaboration to use the I'm doing air quotes here. Uh, his idea of collaboration is my way or no way. You know, if I don't get the money for the wall, then there's no negotiation. There's going to be another shutdown. Well, uh, so, and and you could see that look in in Schumer's face through the course of the evening, and certainly Pelosi's and others. Like, hey, you know what? Start talking the talk, walk the walk too. Then, so all all presidents use hypocrisy. They all presidents, all politicians, especially when they wax poetic or when they stand in the grand chambers and they act like everything is hunky-dory and America's all united. That's often not what's going on behind the scenes. Trump is no different. He's just way, way, way more obvious and over the top and, and communicates constantly and has given us a Twitter feed into his brain, which we've never had access to before with the president. So those, hypocr- those, those moments really stand out. But there were others. You know, when he was talking about abortion and late-term abortion, I, you know, and how much you have to respect the life of these beautiful children. Okay, that good point. The evangelicals loved it. Uh, and also, though, there are children right now who are in cages that he's separated and, and reporting out that said that their policy of separating families at the border was meant to cause trauma. So, so I mean, that's a giant level of hypocrisy right there that we're looking at. So there were, there were a number of things that he was talking about and he was doing during the speech that made you just feel, I mean, there was one where he talked about sexual assaults and how these, these poor asylum seekers coming up, these women were getting sexually assaulted. And this is, this is the man who famously bragged about sexually assaulting women because he could. So there was so much of that, Bill, and I, and I don't want us to become a nerd to it, um, just because some other presidents have some hypocrisy with Trump. It is absolutely off the charts. And he's also charming, and people kind of let that pass by because they like some of these other things that he says, and because they generally like to see somebody who's good at sales. And well, and he, he came back. Yeah, he came back to one of his, you know, the classic talking points is, you know, first of all, there's a flood of people going over the border. We know that's not true. Those numbers have dwindled over the last five years. Uh, most people go in through the usual points of, of, of entry and simply don't renew their visas. That's where most of the illegal immigration is coming from in situations like this. Most of the drugs. Come in through the the ports of entry, but he's got he's creating this aura that it's all happening right here on the border, which is why you have to do something. And the people that are going to come across the border are going to rape your women and steal your jobs. And we know for, statistically, for instance, that that's just not true. 
that, that immigration populations, uh, immigrants, actually have a lower crime rate than the, than the general population do. But Absolutely. it's it's almost as if he and his 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 group, his core audience, say, "Don't don't confuse me with the facts. This is what I want to believe." Well, absolutely. And Nancy, and actually, Joy Reid um, said last night, I believe it was, that it's essentially the brown the brown scare. You know, she she labeled it as that the fear that brown people are going to take jobs and hurt your families and. And he's never used those exact words, but that's sort of what all of this has been about um, between the Muslim travel ban and the, the border. And, and it's about saying to his base, white Americans who fear that too much change is coming, demographic shifts are coming, you know, globalization's coming, technolo- technological reboots of all the industries are coming, jobs are changing. I mean, there's a lot of fear there. And he's always stoked it and he's very good at that. And he'll say whatever it takes. And it takes people to say, hey, that's not true, that's not true, but may I say, where he also, one of the, you know, if we're looking for the axis of evil line in this speech, or if we're looking for that one state of the union line that's going to resonate and stick, it's the one where he said an economic miracle, because not only by using the term miracle is he appealing to the evangelicals, but he's tying it into the economy, he's taking credit for things that have not been miraculous, there is no miracle, and in fact, Things that are working well in the economy are partly due to what Barack Obama set in motion, and some of his tax cuts are actually going to have a deleterious effect on the economy and probably promote recession. So there was a lot of white lies going on or lies going on around the economy, but that one line of an economic miracle is something they're going to ride all the way to 2020. And I think a lot of the Republicans out there who have been holding on to Trump, gritting their teeth, are going to look at that and go, okay, he's talking about the economy. Uh, We can work with that, even though they might not want to work with the whole racist border wall nonsense. Except that uh, that's yesterday. Today is today. Uh, they're going to get back to Congress, and uh, there's a deadline coming up. And uh, I, I, I've got the uneasy feeling it's going to be same old, same old. The euphoria of the the of the, the positive ratings he got last night, I think, are going to fade pretty quickly once he gets back on Twitter. Well, if he ends up doing a shutdown, they will. If it ends up that he says, you know, I didn't get my wall, and therefore it's not going to happen. I mean, look at just yesterday, leading up to the, uh, to the State of the Union, he said, if we don't get money for the wall, we'll have a human wall. You know, there's still the specter of a national emergency. And imagine, imagine if he declares a national emergency over a made-up crisis. What would prevent Kamala Harris or any other potential future president from saying, you know what, mass shooting guns are a national emergency, let's take them, or anything else, right? Or anything, a climate is a national emergency. We're going to change our, no no more, you know, no more coal sector. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different possible things that can happen, and which is interesting to watch, though, is Mitch McConnell. Uh, because he's an institutionalist, and he understands the risk of setting off this idea of using a national emergency for total partisanship and what that could mean if they don't retain power. So I think he'll be doing some pushback to that. So there's just really big, big stakes coming up the next week and a half. And you're right, these ratings might be good for the short term, and he'll take his victory lap, and he'll enjoy it. Uh, But if he shuts down government again, or if he declares a national emergency and sets in motion something that they're going to regret for years, I think that his numbers will go back down to the historically lows that they've been for any president, which is the high 30s. Laura Babcock, president of Power Group. Uh, As always, Laura, thanks so much for this today. My pleasure, Bill. Be safe. You betcha. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.